and it's time for a little politics powwow with Dan and Sam, your favorite hosts of your favorite podcast, The Plunge. And Sam, I want to begin the show with some of the weekend's most powerful reporting from everyone's favorite mainstream media outlet, CNN. Everyone's favorite. The 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 reason people turn their TVs on is for that cutting CNN coverage. This is a tweet from CNN. On the evening Robert Mueller submitted his report to the Justice Department, President Trump was on the tiled patio of Mar-a-Lago, bathed in golden light, with his wife and son Baron who had reached teenagerhood two days earlier. Baron, newly a man, bathed in golden light, resplendent as he hears the news of the Mueller uh, report. He is officially a large adult son. He's a big guy. He's like, he's like, I I feel for him because I was a gangly teen and he is also a gangly teen. He's like at least six foot or something. He's a big kid. But I and many people found themselves reading this tweet over and over again because something about it, it was very, like, Hemingway. Like, it's very weird. Like, why am I reading about Trump in, like, the the tiled patio? And, and like, just the way it described Barry. I'm picturing, like, a Renaissance paint, like the Sistine Chapel, like the creation of David or whatever. The, not David. Who is that? Adam, when he's, like, touching God and shit. But it's Trump. Bathed in golden light. I mean, gold is like his color. I mean, that's like a Trumpian. That was my first takeaway was, I mean, yeah, number one, it's his color. But also, the as we're obviously going to talk about the revelations of the Muir report and this, what we've been building towards was apparently this idea that the compromat that Russians had on Trump was that he enjoys golden showers, i.e., urine play in the bedroom right and i think that is still to be seen we'll i think be having more clarity on that in the coming years but listen that's not what robert Mueller was here to determine i think and it would have been way better if he had just posted like a link to I don't know, like X hamster or something, and it's Trump just getting pissed off. <laughs> like that was the whole report. It's just like links to greasy websites where you can see Trump, you know, doing gross sexual acts. So I guess we should get into it, Sam, because this is one of the things that compelled us to start the podcast, our irritation at like cable news and liberal pundits uh focusing so much on Russia at the expense of giving airtime to issues like the environment, uh, relevant foreign policy stuff. Uh, You know, I I mean, there has been so much airtime given to saying that Robert Mueller will indict Donald Trump for conspiring with Vladimir Putin to give himself the election and that Hillary Clinton will be given the throne. I think that was where a lot of people hoped this would end, and that the Mueller report would vindicate candidate, 2016 presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, and that is not what happened. Yes, uh, of course. Like, I think it's valuable, because we're at this 
point of reflection where we can look back at this with maybe a clearer lens than the hysteria of the time. And Dan, like, let's recount just as if someone was not from this country or not plugged into the news in the way that we are, or even that like the average American is like, what was the theory about Trump? What was the theory about Russiagate? What, what did people think had happened? I suppose that it was they thought he and his campaign officials at you know his direction contacted Russians who created this campaign to get him elected. And of course the campaign takes the form of I guess the hack of the DNC and the Podesta emails as well as I guess, fake news, quote unquote, the original intention of fake news, not the Trumpian version of fake news, but the idea that Russia and other bad faith actors had somehow put this just unlike containable glut of false, misleading, propagandistic news articles on the internet that were so widely shared and so widely disseminated that people ignored fact and reason and voted for Trump instead of Hillary Clinton. Like, And the reason for doing this was some kind of vague thing that Trump was going to lift sh- sanctions on Russia and thus be able to build a Trump Tower in Moscow and... There, that there was this kind of like economic uh, quid pro quo going on in this extremely elaborate plan to elect the most unreliable head of state that I can imagine. So, right. And this ground has been staked for two years. Like this, this whole industry has popped up out of Russiagate, and we will hear from one of its main proponents later in the show. But I don't know, Sam, what have you made of the reaction to not, I guess, the full report, but the William Barr, uh, the Trump's attorney general, his announcement that basically Mueller's findings suggest while they may not entirely uh, vindicate him on obstruction of justice uh, in every area, there is definitely no collusion with Russia, legally. (laughs) Now, of course, there's this big push for the quote-unquote full Mueller report because all we have is apparently William Barr's letter, which is just his interpretation of the Mueller report, which he has supposedly read. But at the same time, I do think it actually is useful to have that report out there. And I will say that the Mueller report over time has drudged, dredged up a lot of the kind of dirt and uncomfortable situations that we like to see heads of state put in. I do think Trump has had a more difficult time as president than he would have otherwise because of the Mueller report. But at the same time, like you said, the standard for this was so impossibly high. The standard for the Mueller report was that he had to prove that literally that he had like what personally met with Vladimir Putin and developed this plan to put himself as the head of state so that he could build a tap. Like they really went for this grandiose jargon. They pulled out all this kind of cold war lingo to make it seem like 
we were living in this modern day like spy novel or something where Donald Trump had just explicitly like conspired with Vladimir Putin to do this. And of course, it's a conspiracy theory. And a lot of the people who built careers on this are conspiracy theorists in the same vein, although not to the same effect as someone like Alex Jones or something like that. Right. And not in that they believe that uh, the Sandy Hook shooting didn't happen. It's more like they've profited off of just extrapolating on random facts and made up information. Louise Mensch, I uh, found and retweeted her classic tweet. I have no pleasure in reporting this, but Steve Bannon will be facing the death penalty. (laughs) Yes, she's a pro-life conservative, so of course she is not happy that he will be executed by the state. Having said that, it is important for her to tell us. Now, of course, Steve Bannon is fine. Steve Bannon's like talking about how much he loves Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and shit, even though he disagrees with her politically. He's out there being a political hack the way he was beforehand. And, you know, before and after his 15 minutes of fame as part of the Trump cabinet or whatever. But either way, there... Like we said, there's they really promised the moon here. And, I mean, it is hard to look at this any other way than just as a massive failure and part of the, you know, main, for lack of a better term, mainstream media. I mean, like MSNBC, CNN, like the, the networks that people turn to for this kind of reporting have really seen just an increase in their viewership. And even the New York Times is at its all-time high in, view, in readership, like – these companies have made it so lucrative to pander to these kinds of literally conspiracy theories. Cause at the end of the day, this is a conspiracy theory. It's just a highly legitimized one and one that was investigated. And the thing is, it's so uniquely set up for like liberals to fall into because they put all this faith into lawyers. And as we will reveal later in the show i mean lawyers are not to be trusted especially with not with this kind of shit and they will not save you in this time of crisis but really the only people who trust them as much as this are liberals i mean the people who wanted Mueller to find this dirt they all would uphold his values of this kind of like he's a g-man he served in vietnam he just does what's right and he's not on he's non-ideological and he dresses plainly and all this shit and they really thought that he was like this knight in shining armor who was going to deliver us from this nightmare which is what conspiracy theorists think they always think that there's some kind of like end plot or some kind of savior who's going to you know lead us out of this i guess madness Ugh. simply what will they do with bobby de niro on saturday night live i mean they have promised everything and like i am tired of the refrain from people that like everyone's saying that this was nothing but they got manafort and uh, like flynn and it's like does that feel i don't know that that (laughs) that didn't really justify two years of this hysteria yeah i mean you've ruined a bunch of people's careers but you didn't need this whole investigation to do that i feel like paul manafort and all these people were so brazen in their dealings and i do agree with the take sometimes that people say that i guess 
Mueller had a really tough job trying to come up with some crimes that the Trump campaign committed that like 80 to 90 percent of D.C. political consultants and lawyers aren't already committing, if that makes sense. Well, the crimes are all just in the open anyway. Right. And of course, I I mean, really, I'm at the point where I'm like, how hard is it to get Trump on any one of the myriad relatively well-documented crimes that he's committed over his lifetime? I mean, beyond we're going to talk about embezzling, he's absolutely like refused to pay contractors over a long period of time. He hired literally illegal immigrants and then didn't pay them. And he also, I mean, like just there's such a litany, his sexual assaults. There is, how hard can it be to get this guy in a crime? But at the end of the day, apparently even the FBI is not up to the task. Well, I, again, like I, I think it's so clear that he is a, lifelong criminal it's almost like they put all their eggs in like one of the hardest to prove baskets out of all of his bullshit right and what did you think of some of the general reactions to the report this weekend i mean we saw john um love it or john favre one of the johns of john save america or sorry pod save america um share the suicide hotline because apparently people staked so much on robert Mueller indicting donald trump that they were suicidal yeah yeah to a certain degree people's world's views were just completely destroyed by the fact that trump won and you know hillary lost to a lesser extent and people i guess really thought that Mueller was going to be the the correction for this grievous wrong but you know, and people have been saying this since Trump got elected. It's it's only a certain kind of privileged subset of society that thinks that this is so inconceivable. If you're a person of color or any kind of marginalized person in the U.S., the idea that you would lose politically is not unfathomable at all. But for this certain subset of like relatively privileged people, like the people I described at the white house protest against what trump meeting with like putin or whatever these were like the it was the professional class of like northwest dc who turned out and they said like this is actually our city not your city not putin's city or whatever and there are these people who have really never been wronged before in this way and they're very fragile as a result of that and i don't think it's unreasonable and it actually was so bleak when i saw that john favreau was retweeting like suicide hotlines because genuinely like people are gonna be driven to some kind of insanity because Mueller did not say that Trump was the big bad guy who's being put in jail now I mean as as kind of silly as that seems to say I do think people feel that way and did you skim through the Matt Taibbi uh, article or I guess it's a chapter of his online book hate Inc where he makes the case that the Russiagate story is this era's WMDs in Iraq? I would say yes to that. And I did read his article. This I think at the beginning of the Russia hysteria, people were saying, you know, okay, just because the New York Times and Washington Post and all these other kind of mainstream outlets are buying into this doesn't mean anything. Because remember in 2003 or whatever, during the beginning of the Iraq war, all these outlets uncritically repeated claims made by the U.S. government that Saddam Hussein possessed, I guess, 
you know, weapons of mass destruction or WMDs. And I think that that was one of the first things that turned me against the idea that Russia really played that significant of a role in this because I was like, I really don't have the ability to trust these organizations. But at the same level, I mean... It's so funny how Matt Taibbi and I guess, you know, Glenn Greenwald and much of these other journalists who have called bullshit on this for a long time have all been able to say, I told you so. And he really just pulls out a litany of times where people were like, the you know, the walls are closing in on Trump, like the shit's about to hit the fan. I mean, he literally quotes a former NSA employee named John Schindler telling reporters that Trump will die in jail. And you already mentioned the fucking... <laughs> No, you already mentioned the absurd like Louise Mensch claim that apparently Steve Bannon was going to be like hanged or something. I mean, on the White House yeah. lawn. I, I was tweeting at uh, our friend Dom today about how Steve Bannon will be paraded onto the White House lawn, kind of hogtied, nude and degreased. Like they really, as we said earlier, like set the stakes so impossibly high on this that they were just going to be, there's no way that they were going to deliver on this. And I think it's sort of like when people say that the anticipation of the thing is better than the actual thing. I mean, people really built careers on this. It's about the journey to the Mueller report, not the destination. <laughs> yeah, it's the friends we made <laughs> along the way. <laughs> I mean, genuinely... I think we will get into this a little bit. The future of the Mueller fandom is going to be more complicated, but it will definitely not end. Like it will people will not give up on this cult of personality and this, you know, genuine theory that something went wrong and that it will be corrected. And it really is to an extent similar to the QAnon thing, which is the idea that, you know, Trump is going to destroy the deep state. In that case, the wrong that has been done is the deep state. And I guess American, I don't know, empire, but it's more misguided, obviously, and muddled. It's not as as clear cut as what liberals were going for in the Mueller conspiracy. But it is this idea that something was done wrong and it will be corrected. And the world doesn't work that way. Sorry, folks. The world towards, tends towards entropy, not order. And to be honest with you, like presidents are above the law always, pretty much. Yeah. With liberals, it was this obsession with the, uh, like, you know, Woodward and Bernstein, I guess, like, movies about Watergate sort of shit. They really thought it was the same thing as Watergate and that just because Watergate ended up the way it did. Bob Woodward's Trump book was literally called Fear. <laughs> And also we talked a lot about the Nixon nostalgia that had recently popped up in, I guess, you know, the movie made about the Washington Post, which I have not heard anything about since we covered it on the show and uh, uh, plenty of other things. So another, I guess, quick piece I wanted to talk about was the Jonathan Chait New York mag cover story where I mean, we were making fun of this when it when it came out, it was just like. It was like Trump, Putin, and like black and white, and it like make, melded their names together. Just this utterly dramatic, like he, it, Trump has, the, the headline is. The headline is, will Trump be meeting with his counterpart or his handler? <laughs> oh. And of course, this is around the time, I guess, that Trump was, you know, meeting with Putin in these 
just fucking scandalous affairs. You know, the lowest point of the American presidency. I think literally people said that at that time was Trump meeting with like Putin at Helsinki or in like the White House or whatever. I mean, you know, it kind of sucked. It was. Uh... But does it suck any more than having Bolsonaro in the White House or like Duterte? <laughs> Bolsonaro's like. Like we're probably I don't know are they worse? Uh, Putin's pretty bad, but Putin's it's like, a bad guy. But I think that like there's when you're if you're willing to have ascendant fascists <laughs> exactly like if you're willing to have that level of right wing authoritarianism in the house anyway. I mean you might as well have Putin around if he you've got you know Duterte coming over. So did you look at this chain article and just? think about the like egg that he must have on his face or that he doesn't because he's probably just so fucking shameless these people i had msnbc on in my house a lot of sunday and it sure as hell didn't seem like they felt embarrassed no no not at all i i've been trying to find uh you know we fucked up kind of article and it's not out there and it's embodied by of course like the 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 heart and soul of this mueller fandom or like the most accessible part of it i think is really like the krasensteins on twitter the bizarre twins who are like the biggest trump reply guys and for years have been replying to him like just wait till mueller creeps up on you like mueller knows and all this shit and they, one of them, I think it was Brian Krasenstein, the one in the red shirt, tweeted saying, just because you think that you that there is no collusion, we will still continue to fight for the full Mueller report. And it reminds me of, I guess, something that I think we have, we have referenced on this show, which is this classic study that was done on, I want to say, doomsday cults is the... At the time, it was not known that way, but later on, it, the t- the term was coined due to subsequent work on this study. And the study was done by this guy named Leon Festinger, and he found that when you study doomsday cults, obviously a lot of them, you know, predict that like the what the 2012 Mayan calendar shit. People assumed that like on some certain day the world was going to end, and this is a common trope in doomsday cults. And you could kind of view, I guess, the the Mueller fandom as a sort of doomsday cult because the doomsday would be for the right wing, and you know Trump would be taken out of power. For them, would be the apocalypse. And the thing that fa- that he found was that. People, when they were disappointed in the, you know, the turnout or they did not experience the apocalypse the way they thought they would, it didn't deter them. It made them more devoted to the cult. And I think that's absolutely we're going to see with the with the Mueller shit is people are going to be like, oh, he didn't tell us because Trump had dirt on him and they're going to invent some new way to be able to say Mueller knows, but by a different name. I do associate this sort of behavior with the QAnon fans who every time a date passes where there's supposed to be this sweeping arrest of the Hollywood and Washington pedophile liberals, uh, it never happens. And they don't stop believing in Q. They dig in deeper. No, they really do. And of course, you know, I don't think we should suggest that the QAnon people are like, or that the Mueller people are as loony as the QAnon people, but at the same, it's the same kind of idea. It's that it's, pattern of behavior. It, yeah. 
you know, and we'll see later when we look into a big wet boy's big wet book. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I guess in terms, as a quick detour, in terms of like other lawyers will not save you news. We got hang on, hang on, hang on. One more thing about uh, Russiagate. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted out a just disturbing photograph, and he said, "Can everyone? It's it's him, very bearded, and I don't know the beard. I don't know. It's creepy on him with with his uh girlfriend." Uh, that he met after his wife left him, Kimberly Guilfoyle. And it says, can everyone stop calling us Russian bots for being hot Trump supporters now? I love the tacit throwing under the bus of his father's support. The assumption being, of course, that Trumpers are ugly and that Donald Trump Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle are somehow aberrations of that because they're hot. Which they're not. <laughs> I love this idea that Trump Jr. thinks he is like a sex symbol. Yeah, he's a he's a young guy. I'm relatively, I think he's like in his 40s or something. He's actually pretty old, but I, I don't know with the with the beard. He looks like I don't know Billy May's bastard child or something. Yeah, with a sort of like if Bradley Cooper got hit with a shovel twenty times. Yeah, and had no chin, or like the chin was beaten out of him. Uh, I can never stop thinking when I see Kimberly Guilfoyle about how she apparently showed like interns at Fox News pictures of like Donald Trump Jr.'s dick. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) She just has such like a bland face normally, just like many of these media figures. But behind those eyes, I just see the fucking machinations of like thinking that showing, I guess, her boyfriend's dick to her co-workers is a good idea. Just these, like, geriatric Fox and Friends, like, these old man hosts and these, like, I don't know, these, like, blonde women uh, who populate the airwaves of Fox just having to look at Trump Jr.'s sweaty cock. Yeah, I mean, you may think that the water cooler talk at your office is pretty bad, but at least it doesn't involve, you know, (laughs) that sort of shit. But all right, we got I mean, as you said, this is a story of a lawyer gone bad, folks. (laughs) This is one of the best stories. (laughs) This rules. This This was this was a really great like, you know, it paired like a fine wine with the uh, Mueller report being zilch yeah you may think it's difficult to pair here you know spicy muller like hop forward ipa with any food but this is the hot spicy like chinese food that you need to gulp down that fucking bitter beer this is the fucking amazing story of michael avenatti attempting to commit just massive extortion of like a multi-billion dollar company he's been out of the spotlight for a second And there was a time when people were seriously floating this man as a leading 2020 candidate. He was, like, visiting Iowa and New Hampshire and shit. This guy was always a blowhard, always a fucking idiot. I felt there was some earnestness to him, but it turns out he's such a fucking slimy, like, I mean, you know, fucking bus poster, personal injury attorney sort of shit. 
I mean, yeah, he is really kind of a more competent Michael Cohen, in my opinion. <laughs> He's like trying, he can only do greasy law for some reason, but he <laughs> is able to do it on like a higher level for for some reason, like I said. But either way, the the details of this case, apparently like Avenatti had been trying to extort literally Nike for $20 million, between 15 and $25 million based on different recordings of him doing this in person at Nike's offices, which is Wait. fucking genius. And this was after he had stopped being Stormy Daniels' lawyer, which was kind of how he got into the public consciousness. Right, that's what he was known for. He was like the defender of women, the defender of Stormy Daniels from the Big Bad Trump. And he was supposed to be this tough guy figure who could face off against Trump in the debates and kick his ass on cable news with a strong lower lip. <laughs> yeah, he was like the private sector Robert Mueller for a certain subset of like these, you know, kinds of liberals. But Either way, okay, so apparently Avenatti represented the coach of an amateur men's basketball team, and Nike used to sponsor that team, but recently cut ties with it. And he apparently tried to threaten these Nike lawyers and said that his client, the basketball coach, had information that Nike employees made illicit payments to top high school basketball prospects or something. Uh, very, which apparently has happened to Adidas in the past, some of their employees, and that resulted in federal convictions. So I assume he thought this was like ripe, I guess, legal or fertile legal ground to make his case. So Avenatti said that he was going to hold a press conference to publicize these charges unless uh, and it would have like coincided with Nike's quarterly earnings calls and. This, I guess, his whole threat against Nike was that he would hurt their market cap. And some of the things he's, like, quoted as saying are so fucking funny. On one phone call, he apparently threatened to go public if he was not paid enough. He said, I'll go take $10 billion off your market cap, but I'm not fucking around. He asked a lawyer at Nike if he had ever, quote, held the balls of the client in your hand where you could take five to six billion dollars market cap off of them oh my god this is worse than michael cohen honestly no of course it's like because michael cohen is like a sort of small scale evil i mean avenatti's trying to walk off apparently he was asking for like 15 to 25 million dollars at one point and another point he said he was offering 22.5 million dollars in exchange for quote full confidentiality we ride off into the sunset unquote and i guess like i said this is Again, Look, it's a grift. Yes, and this is also the logical like conclusion of when you trust the system a little too much. Because, I mean, what the system rewards to a degree is this kind of brazen, I guess, self-interest. I mean, obviously, Avenatti is doing this to primarily make money. There's no like altruistic... Aim to this. I mean, his story was complete nonsense. And he even tried to cut in the basketball coach he was quote unquote representing by, I guess, trying, promising he would secure like $1.5 million for this guy as well. But like, at the end of the day, I guess 
it just he's he really is like the flip side of Mueller in a way in that people really thought we were going to like lawyer our way out of this and like throw Trump in jail. And it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how the legal system works and who wins usually in these legal disputes. And people who win are people like Trump. End of story. And uh, that is our main takeaway from this Avenatti thing is you can't be like the liberal Trump because you're not him. <laughs> yeah, and your intentions aren't the same. And of course, Avenatti had other scams. He also embezzled. This is great. He embezzled $1.6 million in a client's settlement money by negotiating a settlement. And he called for his client to be paid on January 10th. But then he gave his client a fake copy of the settlement agreement, which said that the payment was March 10th. So he just bought himself like $4 million, or, or I'm sorry, a million and a half dollars for like two months. And then oh, he used yeah. it. He used it to pay expenses for apparently he runs a coffee business that distributes like Tully's coffee. Oh, come have you seen on. like have you seen like those Tully's coffee? I see those in like Keurigs. Uh, those were in like my hotel I stayed in last week. There's stupid little Tully's Keurigs that made me think of Avenatti. And then I like come back to this fucking story. It's so funny. I mean, he really is like a he's like a slipping Jimmy kind of like better call Saul lawyer just or similar to, I guess, what, Michael Cohen or any of these other, like, Barry Zuckercorn tired stereotypes, but just on this higher level. And people gave him this veneer of respectability because he was nominally opposed to Trump. It rules. It's so funny. You just can't make this up that this guy who was literally being floated as the guy with potential to defeat Donald Trump for the presidency was trying to do these ridiculous extortion scams and it's so funny just on a like practical level you don't need to go to their office and threaten them in person <laughs> it's like nike you think they're not gonna like litigate the shit out of you that's one of the biggest com- companies in the world it's a multi-billion dollar like industry standard like fucking sporting goods company and he thought he could just like walk and of course if you walk in there and you're saying like i'm gonna grab you by the balls and shit which is ironic given that he was like this anti-trump guy and he's out here literally like making the same kind of like using the same kind of lingo obviously in a different context but at the same rate it's so fun like if you go there they can record you and that's what happened they fucking as soon as he started threatening them nike went to the authorities and he was recorded avenatti was recorded saying all this dumb shit which is why we know about it and why he's gonna go he was arrested today he was literally arrested like what a fucking idiot just if you had any stock in this guy it's time to deprogram i'm sorry i thought Okay, I saw something that said he could go away for 20 to 30 years, and then I saw something that he could get 170. I saw that number. (laughs) Sorry, what was that? What was that big number? I thought it was 107. Oh, yeah, 107. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And the funniest thing is that he absolutely is like the kind of guy who's like dumb enough to go away for that long on like this stupid white collar crime, like this embezzlement shit. Fucking brilliant. Could not have asked for a better news story to cover on this show. And uh, honestly, because we've got like the spirit up and some laughs going, do you want to move into pop culture? I guess that's just, so this might count as pop culture, but it is presidential campaign news. I guess the Silicon Valley uh, Joe Rogan boosted online meme candidate Andrew Yang. Uh, Again, he's a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. 
Uh, he's his main campaign platform is Universal Basic Income, and he will be debating one Ben Shapiro about his anti-circumcision stance. Sam, do you know anything about this movement? Absolutely, I do. the The intactivist movement, as it is known, there's a lot of, I guess, different layers to it. And by that, I mean there's like two kinds of layers to it. There are people who think that they have been denied some kind of sexual pleasure that they can't even conceive of because they don't have a foreskin. And I mean, I don't know, damn, we're both, we're, we're Jews, we're circumcised. Like, sorry to give people those details about our manhood, but still, it should be assumed for people of our background. And I mean, I have heard this myth that like, apparently it feels good to have your like foreskin played with, but to base your like a worldview or even like a political position around this idea that you were denied like some sort of sexual pleasure that you wouldn't even know you were missing out on is very comical. And the other layer to it, I think, is the people who think that it is unhealthy to be circumcised for whatever reason, which I think runs contrary to accepted medical practice. I think ex- generally it's considered to be a good way of s- like preventing the spread of diseases, if I'm not mistaken. No, you're right. I've, I, I do, that is true. Right. And um, I guess the people who argue against that claim that there is some kind of hegemonic belief that circumcision is good for you and that the truth which is that it's bad for you is being suppressed so so why the hell is yang with this movement if he wants to run for president seriously you know yang is really fucking weird and the only thing that i saw that was plausible about him or that was coherent at least was that he's like sort of a fascist weirdly <laughs> cuz you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned that he is really into UBI but his UBI is dog shit he wants to give people like literally $1000 a month which like sorry folks if what what apartment are you renting for less than $1000 a month in any like large city at this point uh i mean i'm sure that like $1000 a month could benefit a lot of people and would benefit a lot of people but i don't think that it's done as a way to, I guess, transition people out of the industrial age and into the post-industrial world. It's not meant to like actually compensate for the losses of like Fordism or whatever. It's meant to like buy people off to a degree, I think. And it's a very like sh- it seems radical, but it's also kind of a shitty measure in a weird way, and it removes a lot of the bargaining power of the working class. And he also has weird positions. He's tweeted before about how the white race is declining in the U.S. and shit and how that's a big problem. Like, <laughs> I don't know. If you read between the lines, there's this bizarre blood and soil shit to Andrew Yang. And I do think that this circumcision thing also plays into that a little bit. So uh, who better for him to debate than, I mean, one of Judaism's fucking worst public figures, the Zionist fascist, just utter Ben Shapiro, the cool kids philosopher, as the New York Times or something put it. I literally sent someone that article on Saturday. <laughs> if you ever need to uh, debunk Ben Shapiro, uh, Nathan J. Robinson's. Fantastic, uh, well-researched 
the cool kids philosopher in current affairs magazine uh google it folks um all right a- anything else to say about this debate are you are you gonna bring popcorn and uh you, your uh, foreskin in a jar i mean i i do feel like Andrew, as I said, my read on Andrew Yang, the only thing that makes sense is if he is a closet fascist. And I feel like when people are so upfront about how much they hate circumcision, I take it a little personally as a Jew. And maybe that's not the right impulse, but maybe it is the right impulse, given, as I mentioned before, Andrew y- or yeah, Andrew Yang's bizarre, I guess, like kind of crypto fascist tendencies. And I can't think of a worse person to represent me as an uncomfortable Jew than Ben Shapiro, who has frequently in the past written off vast segments of Jews who are too liberal or too left wing for him, which I I think like what 70% of Jews voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. So he's writing like literally all of them off. He really only has eyes for like Israelis or conservative American Jews and I don't know. Yeah, I can't think of a worse defender, a worse knight in shining armor than fucking Ben Shapiro, the 5-2 fascist. Let's move into a subject that is actually enjoyable, uh, genuinely, rather than laughing about circumcision. Um It's the 45th anniversary of the time the Grateful Dead pioneered the wall of sound technique at their concerts which are storied events in the history of american music uh sam do you have a sense of the wall of sound and what it actually was these sort of stacks of speakers yeah Uh, i i wanted to talk about this in this show because we both love the Grateful Dead, and we've never talked about them on here. And I think it's uh, it, it it's it's worthy of for us to acknowledge their contributions. Yeah, and I think that the Grateful Dead these days are just unless you're like a fish bro or something, it's like synonymous with like the least cool thing possible. I don't know. They're obviously obviously like the antithesis of pop culture currently, which I think, which is why I think it's kind of funny to discuss them. But in, in like 1974, Owsley Bear Stanley, who was previously in the 1960s, like a legendary acid maker back in the day, there were these people who made acid were far and few between and it was legal for a while but once it became illegal these people became kind of like rock stars and they thought that they were doing a social good by turning people on to acid and making people i guess you know question their surroundings question their existence etc and this guy really was kind of a polymath and he was later transitioned to being a sound technician, which I think is interesting. A lot of these acid guys did end up getting more technical roles later on in life or be like, they became like software engineers or something. And Alzi Stanley is a good example of this. And he built this just fucking towering speaker system for the Grateful Dead. The This is different than the wall of sound associated with Phil Spector, like, and George Harrison. You know, Phil Spector being a literal murderer, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. No, it's th- their wall of sound was a more of a recording technique, whereas this is an equipment setup. 
Right. And like I said, it is this just a towering set of speakers that could be controlled by the band relatively simply through like a PA system. And it meant that they could basically hear what the audience was hearing. It the it could project the sound out like a half mile without needing, I guess, at the time there were like these remote amplifiers that they would use and it would cause delay. Or the towers, infamously, like in um, in the Woodstock dec- documentary, you hear people saying like, get off the towers. But they're talking about these like massive speakers that had to like kind of provide additional sound because the speaker's technology at that time was not really at that at the point that it like could stand on its own. And Alzi Stanley kind of did that with the wall of sound. And of course it didn't last long because it cost like an insane amount of money to go on stage, like schlep this fucking speaker system around the country. Obviously the Grateful Dead are known for touring extensively and having their live show be the primary draw in their act. And this didn't mesh well. And they had to like set this monstrosity up every time, but there are some good, the, we have an article that links to some dicks pics which are i guess dan can you explain dicks pics to the audience yeah dick was this legendary archivist who uh he's uh since passed away but he uh compiled the dead's greatest uh sets or well you know i'm sure people have many many opinions i don't want to say objectively greatest but he compiled some of their most popular sets absolutely and i mean dan you're I will say that your parents blow my parents away in terms of deadhead level. I mean, your dad's got like a wall of like recordings and shit. I mean, it's awesome with, I, I feel like it's so underappreciated with deadheads, how they really have this attraction to the time and place of the music and the recording and like the sound quality. Like they, they get, I guess kind of unfairly maligned as like being burnouts or like hippies or stoners. But really these people like spend a lot of time thinking about this sort of shit and they're really oddly meticulous about it to a degree. And I think that something that's so interesting with the wall of sound recordings specifically picking out you know times in the career where they played these songs at this time when they were like at this point in their lives and they had the wall of sound and there is this lore around like legendary grateful dead concerts there is a way in which these deadheads are so attracted to the the time and place of the concert and the recording that shows become legendary i'm thinking in particular of this one at cornell in 1977 and if you go to cornell the tour guides will tell you about the show because it is like a a sort of landmark of the university's history and this it's very funny how these things happen and i i don't know if there's like an analog for it today i'm sure there is in some way but i don't know it's something very specific and unique to the deadhead culture that i think is very very much worth appreciating and to take a total nosedive from the catharsis of the Owsley Wall of Sound setup, let's take a look at the Woodstock lineup. Now I know I know the Dead and Company will be there, but uh, you know they're, they're trying to redo Woodstock, folks. We we talked about this a little bit in the prior episode, but I don't know. It doesn't look great. <laughs> I mean, this just looks like any fucking Coachella ripoff yeah I mean this is I'm gonna use the word it's it's neoliberal hell right here I mean the dead and co with what it's like that's like John Mayer and like a bunch of the you know the surviving members of the Grateful Dead it's, it's a great it's a great show and a great group I, I really enjoy watching John Mayer play with those guys but 
I really question why they would bring in like the, I mean, isn't like Imagine Dragons, like these sort of like really poppy, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I'm just getting too bitter as I, as I approach the thirties. Uh, Dan, you don't think that Cage the Elephant has anything to do with the original Woodstock? I mean, goodness. they just play every fucking festival. I've I've seen them at like four different things. I feel like without ever intending to. Absolutely, and I think there are some categories on this Woodstock sock lineup. Uh, interestingly, there are a couple rappers, not very many. There's like Run the Jewels. Jay Z is headlining on the third day. And what, like Earl Sweatshirt, um, Common, of course, because Common always shows up to fucking like TED Talk shit like this. And I believe Vince Staples, who is really like my probably my favorite rapper who is performing there, but it's not like enough to get me to go out to this event. But like you said, there are the bands that play like every goddamn festival imaginable, like Portugal the Man or like Dawes or Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. One thing that I love and that is actually perfect for this lineup, and honestly, they should just play all three nights, is Greta Van Fleet, baby. Oh, Lord. They were built for a event called Woodstock in 2019, just this completely uh, inauthentic, uh, you know, just a copy of a copy of a copy of an experience. My problem is the cynical use of the Woodstock nostalgia branding, because it just seems silly when it's the same exact festival you'd get at any state across the country. Yeah, and that point is driven home by the fact that the only headliner on this show who actually performed at the original Woodstock is Santana, and Carlos Santana, obviously, but his band. And he's a king. I, I actually saw Santana on the 40th anniversary of Woodstock in Bethel Woods, which was the original like Woodstock location. I believe that the Woodstock 50 is not taking place at the original location or something. But either way... Um, it was it was a great show, and he played to all of this. And of course, Santana has a very memorable performance at the 1969 Woodstock. He apparently had eaten a lot of mescaline, and he thought his guitar was turning into a snake and like biting him. And you can see it in the pain in his face as he plays, but he's still able to like pull it off, and he's amazing. But some of the other acts at this show at the Woodstock 50 concert were at the 1969 Woodstock as well. I mean, I'm seeing Canned Heat on here. David Crosby's on here. Country Joe McDonald is on here. But they're not able to headline because this is about the bottom line and they're not going to draw as many fans as, I guess, like Imagine Dragons or (laughs) Chance the Rapper. (laughs) Crosby's playing like a noon set. Like... Yeah, he's like, I was literally here like 50 years ago. And Crosby is like fucking disgusting these days because he did a billion drugs because he was actually at Woodstock, which is what, you know, if you remember the 60s, you weren't actually there or whatever. Like he bears this literal scars of this culture. And he's he's definitely not headliner going to be like presented on any kind of main stage at any point. It's so funny. Catch Carlos Santana at the Pepsi tent at 7 a.m. Anyway, let's uh, enter the final leg of this show. Now, Sam, I'm lucky enough to work in a workplace where publishers send a lot of books because they're hoping to get publicity on Sirius 
for their books. Now, sometimes you get great books. Sometimes you get this. And I kept it under my desk because I knew one day it would come in handy, such as today when the Mueller report uh, we now know has left the resistance wanting. I found the book Proof of Collusion, How Trump Betrayed America by Seth Abramson. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's so good. I love being surprised with these random piece of shit books. It reminds me of, I mean, my mom works in a library. My mom also would give me a ton of these, like, tossed away books or promotional books for free and i remember once she gave me a glenn beck book before he was like well known at all and i just started reading it and i was horrified but seth abramson let's get a little background on him because i don't think he's like widely known unless you're terminally online so seth is a uh, he's a former criminal defense attorney and turns like academic who teaches journalism legal advocacy and cultural theory at the university of new hampshire but uh since 2016 has seen his star rise and indeed he has i'm sure made millions off of his lucrative uh endorsements via his just russiagate 24 7 tweets and just uh, cable news appearances like this guy is like the Russiagate guy who has been caught with his trousers just stripped off in the last few days hell yeah so i I don't know what do you want to do here sam What, what else can you say about this guy before i read a little bit from the book i mean i do think this is sort of like a lawyer dream job for a lot of people who don't actually like doing law they want to i guess transition it into some kind of nonsense career like this and in that way i mean seth abramson is kind of an idol for many and it's so funny the way that it, it just goes to show how naked the grift i guess of the russia gate hysteria is i mean we have discussed how careers were made i mean millions were made msnbc saw its viewership go up in like the first year of russiagate hysteria reporting and i it just it's a perfect monument of this time and i think it's something that in the future will be very hard to explain or i I mean what can we even say at this point so the quote at the start of the book is fucking perfect. Former CIA director John Brennan, August 16th, 2018. Mr. Trump's claim of no collusion are, in a word, hogwash. (laughs) So, like, this is, I mean, proof of collusion is, I mean, oh my God, there's like a hundred pages of footnotes. Oh my God, half the book is footnotes. Holy shit, I'm just... (laughs) Give me a read on some of these footnotes, because, I mean, that's the meat of the thing here. Like, do they... What are some of the things that this dude is citing? Okay. Uh, All right, we got the Sydney Morning Herald. We have... uh, Okay, we have a book called Collusion. We have Trump Soho Project. I mean, uh, we have... Putin rigged Miss America contest as policewoman's secret admirer. 
So, so you're telling me the sources seem a little biased. <laughs> well, Sam, I mean, uh, PolitiFact uh, is quoted in here. That's uh, that's hard facts. True. That's incorrect. David Corn, <laughs> Mother Jones. Obviously, you can you can put a ton of citations into anything to make yourself seem like you're drawing from a lot of sources. When even if you're quoting facts, your interpretation of them is what you're selling the book on. And his interpretation is just gibberish because it really is just conspiracy theory mongering. It's a lot of the, the same like four words like Trump, Moscow, uh, one million uh 2016 and then there's tweets he cites tweets that's a that's a thing i've seen that uh all right i'm gonna i'm gonna just do a little dramatic reading from a chapter called the transition november 2016 to january 2017 late While not yet in power, Trump, his family, and his aides begin acting as though they are as soon as Trump wins the 2016 presidential election. Beginning less than two days after the final returns come in, several Trump aides and family members working on the transition team will call, meet, and negotiate with Russians and other foreign nationals. The last of these actions may well violate the Federal Logan Act, which prohibits private citizens from negotiating U.S. foreign policy with foreign governments. And Sam, feel free to interject at any point, because this is garbage. This is some, like, third-rate Tom Clancy shit. Most of those in Trump's orbit who surreptitiously meet with Russian or other foreign nationals will therefore fall to disclose or fail to disclose or else lie about their actions. Meanwhile, a cadre of aides, associates and family members, Jared Kushner, Eric Flynn, uh, Eric Prince, Michael Flynn, Tom Barack, Rick Gates and Bud McFarlane are playing a dangerous political game. The game involves seven nations, the United States, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Syria, Iran and Russia and seven seemingly unrelated subjects. Kushner's worsening money troubles, Saudi Qatari tensions, the Saudis desire for nuclear power and eventually the right to build a nuclear weapon, the Emiratis own nuclear ambitions, Saudi and Emirati hostility toward Iran and particularly Iranian involvement in the war in Syria. Oh, so wait a minute. Iran and the UAE are on like the same side. Does it matter? He's saying Middle Eastern countries. Yeah, (laughs) he's just. Yeah, exactly. I was just like, you're just listing like countries vaguely in the Middle East. Like they have really nothing to do with each other at all. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So each chapter is structured with like a summary like uh, a few paragraphs that wasn't even the full summary it goes on for another like page but then there's like a section called the facts which is i guess shortly after he helps engineer christie's ouster and (laughs) flynn's emergence onto the presidential transition team kushner calls russian ambassador sir jay kisliak baby Hey, hey, he was a big guy in this whole uh, kerfluffle, as they say. Absolutely. Why don't we read the summary for a little chapter called Compromat? <laughs> November 2013. 
When Donald Trump arrives in Moscow for the Miss Universe pageant in November 2013, he checks into the presidential suite of Ritz-Carlton Moscow. That night, he is allegedly surreptitiously recorded asking multiple women to urinate on the presidential suite bed President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama had slept in on their trip to Moscow. Multiple active-duty CIA officers responsible for the case file on this incident speaking to the BBC's Russia correspondent through an intermediary, say that the recording does indeed exist. BBC reporter Paul Wood reports that at least one allied European intelligence agency has the same information. These officers tell the BBC there is at least one recording of Trump of a sexual nature from a different location, St. Petersburg, in a different time, and such recording would be considered national security endangering compromat potential blackmail material if it is now in the possession of the Kremlin. Blah, 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 steel dossier. Jeez. So once again, the worst thing you could get on Trump, apparently, is that he did the, the P stuff. And I love how they always mention that they're like, it's the same bed that Michelle and Barack stayed in. As if that like means anything. <laughs> like Oh, here's a good here's a good uh, a fun name that I haven't heard in a bit. Uh that Felix Sater has substantial ties to the mafia and to Russian intelligence officers is uncontested. In June 2018, Newsweek said he was linked to the mob, adding that in the 1990s he had done business with a number of high-ranking former Soviet intelligence officers. He eventually came to back to New York, but stayed in touch with some of them. See, like... To me, like, how is this worse than, like, John Bolton, like, talking to every, like, dictator? Like, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I, my thing with, with this was always, like, what do these people know about Putin? Like, why do they hate him? They think it's tantamount to, like, talking to Hitler or something. <laughs> I opened a page and it mentioned Sam Clovis. Hell yeah. <laughs> that, like, just walrus sort of man that uh, worked in the Trump campaign. I mean, this has just been great. We've been getting this nice walk down memory lane of all these zany characters. But at the end of the day, we get to say, look, guys, shut the book already. Like, this is all fantasy. It's like fan fiction. Let's just move on and deal with the shit at hand. God, this is so depressing. So the last chapter in Seth's book, The Death and Rebirth of America. A review of everything Donald Trump has done since deciding to run for president shortly after the 2012 presidential election, as well as everything we have learned about what he, those of his children working in the Trump org, and his closest associates did in the decade prior, should cause profound unease in the heart of every American. The picture that emerges is of a man whose venality and solipsism have left him vulnerable to being compromised by the Kremlin. Since the 1980s, Donald Trump has shown a commitment to his own self-interest over any other consideration as he hopes for more business opportunities to develop in Moscow. Oh, my God. How do people read this shit? It's so fucking boring. Yeah, it's also interminably boring. Like I can't even listen to you read any more of this. It's it's hurting me. <laughs> Those who predicted widespread violence should Trump be impeached and convicted or, or resign or being reactionary 
Americans are, as a national community, more noble than that, and most have much more instinctive faith in our legal and political institutions than our often poisonous discourse would suggest. Violence is for those who have given up on America completely. While it is true that the tens of millions of Americans who voted for this president are not yet prepared to give up the way he makes them feel and the self-respect they had in the moment they cast a ballot in his name, they did not support him because they'd given up on America. Rather, in a particular way that can be difficult for the rest of America to appreciate, they voted for him because they love America. No, fuck you. They voted for him because they hate Mexicans. Yeah, come on. I, I That is... The other piece of this Mueller shit that just needs to be laid to rest, this idea that, like, America is somehow better than that. No, sorry, folks. Your institutions gave you Trump. It's every—you pledge allegiance to the very shit that resulted in Donald Trump. And that is something you need to face. And hiding behind this Mueller nonsense, I understand you need some adjustment to this, but get the fuck over it, like I said before. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'm going to have to read the last paragraph of the book. And this is on page 320, so there's uh, over 100 pages after this of uh, footnotes. Okay. All right. Go, go. You're going to read it anyway, so just do it. Yeah, just take your medicine. This isn't your medicine. This is like this is like giving you like a a vaccine that builds up the disease just so, you know, that you don't have to like get sick later. This is more like a suppository, actually. (laughs) Whatever happens, America, which has been spiritually, psychologically, and politically paralyzed by Trump's toxic insinuation into its culture, will continue in a state of paralysis that won't be broken until Trump's exit from American life. And when that happens, America is likely to find that the president's unprincipled and narcissistic reality could not be sustained at home or under the gaze of the entire world. That gaze will reveal even more than is already evident that the world Donald J. Trump inhabits isn't the one most of the rest of us do. Uh. So that's some proof of collusion. Seth Abramson, uh, if any of you want a copy, I have it, but it's probably going in the fireplace. (laughs) You're just, like, begging someone to take that shit off your hand. Honestly, I'm begging anybody, please take the fucking book away from Dan before he reads any more of it. (laughs) I'm going to blow my brains out over here. He got a fucking quote on the back for Mark Ruffalo. For anyone who wants to know the fundamentals and twists and turns of the Trump-Russia investigation, follow this man. Thanks, Ruffalo. All right, well. Rolling Stone calls Seth Abramson a deep thinker. And a philosopher. <laughs> what was the philosophy behind some of those passages, Sam? I mean, the greatest philosophy is that America is great. And by extension, you're great. You did it. You're America. You're better than Donald Trump in some vague way. And you deserve credit for that. And Seth Abramson is giving you that credit. That's really what that means. My conclusion from this episode is we need to replace Ben Shapiro in the Yang debate with Seth Abramson because, you know, he's pro-circumcision with a name like Seth Abramson. Also, I'm upset because uh, about that debate mainly because Er Andrew Yang Yang is going to 
lose badly to Ben Shapiro, if I can guess. And Ben Shapiro has got to be like one of the easiest people to wash in a, a debate than I can think of. So I think Seth Abramson would be a better choice, even though he is, as we have outlined extensively, just in his own fantasy world. And that'll do it for this week's show. I hope that all of you find proof of collusion right sam yeah don't give up i mean keep sniffing get into QAnon. do it don't give up on your life i mean if you if you need these conspiracy theories to keep going then you'll find another one just you know warm up to it and accept that the moon landing was faked greenwald was right he's an asshole for going on tucker carlson's show all the time but you know He's going to do what he's going to do, but he was still right about Russiagate. Sorry, folks. And I mean, by extension, I mean, the Daily Caller and the Federalists were right, but for the wrong reasons. They were correct that Russiagate was false, but they were going to say that even if it was true. They are claiming that, you know, they would claim the sky is green if that benefited Trump in some way. So don't fall for that shit either. And I'm going to once again see... Baron, who had reached teenage hood just <laughs> two days prior. <laughs> You'd just become a man. Trump bathed in golden light on the patio. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Good night, folks. <laughs>